What did we talk about last week? Wow, was anybody here last week? <laughs> we talked about the rapture. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, what we're going to be looking at again today, talks about the rapture. Let me give you the definition from Webster's. Number, the first definition is an expression of, or manifestation of ecstasy or passion. Okay, never mind. Second one, a state or experience of being carried away by overwhelming emotion. Well, that sort of fits. The third one is, is dead on, though. It's the final assumption of Christians into heaven during the end time according to Christian theology. Last week we studied 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, the rapture. Now, this is a pretty fantastical thought when you think about it. This idea, this concept of the rapture. Unbelievers who hear us talking about it surely must think we're crazy. Let's do a little experiment here. Read with me as though you've never opened a Bible before. As though you've been taught in the schools that God doesn't exist. And look at verses, uh, verse 16 through 18. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Imagine... You've never opened a Bible before. And you read those words. That's pretty out there. The concept that we are someday, and it could be today, going to go flying up into the sky to meet Jesus. But when you think about it, it's no more astonishing than a virgin birth, than God becoming an infant, than a carpenter who is God, than a carpenter rising from the dead, and eventually, himself lifting off into the sky. <laughs> when you think about it, the gospel, the good news, the, the message that we've been given is pretty out there. It's pretty unusual. And I think that is why Paul admonishes us. Remember a couple of weeks ago? Look back at verse 11. Paul admonishes us to aspire to lead a quiet life. To mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are on the outside. We talked about that. See, the message that we've been given is unbelievable. I mean, it's unbelievable in a good way, but to unbelievers, it's unbelievable. But it's true. I think that's why Paul tells us in this chapter, look, guys, strive to live a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands. In short... Be a good citizen. See, the reliability of a witness is supported or undermined by that witness's behavior, right? If I'm calling up a witness and I call up a guy who's, who is known to be a liar and he's uh, stealing things and he's done all these terrible things, if I call him up as a witness, then his testimony is going to be, eh, I'm not sure if I, I believe that. See, the story that God has given us, the story that God has given you, is pretty fantastical stuff. God became a baby. God grew up to be a carpenter. God did all sorts of, um, of these amazing miracles in the form of a carpenter, then died on a cross and rose again. He paid for my sins. He paid for your sins, and he's coming back to whisk me away. That's pretty amazing. See, we need to be good witnesses. 
We need to live quiet, normal lives. We need to work hard. We need to mind our own business. And we need to continue to tell this amazing story. We saw last week that Paul does not want us to be ignorant concerning this issue, the issue of the rapture. Verse 13, look at it. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And he goes on to speak about the rapture. See, that's why we're spending one more Sunday in this message. We covered this last week, but we're doing it again because Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. See, if we're, if we're witnesses and we say, yeah, I believe in the rapture, but how does it work? I don't, I don't know anything about it, but I believe it. Well, that kind of undermines your witness too, doesn't it? We'll, become, we'll come across as ignorant witnesses if our testimony is not accurate will be dismissed. Rudyard Kipling, the British author and poet who wrote uh, this poem, The Elephant's Child, he wrote, I have six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names were what and where and when and why and how and who. I think that I, I don't remember for sure. Maybe anybody uh, take journalism in, your, in high school or college? All right. Oh, a few. I think that, that we were taught... I didn't take journalism, but I think I remember this. Is this are those the six questions they, they tell you to ask to answer? Okay, right? Who, what, where, when, why, and how? We're going to talk about all that about the rapture today. You guys ready? Well, we're going to do it anyway. The first question, what is the rapture? Well, you find your answer in verse 17. The word rapture means to be caught up. Verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now, you might hear someone say, because they are, there are naysayers when it comes to the, the rapture, they'll say, well, the word rapture isn't even in the Bible. Well, that's true unless you have a Latin Bible. See, today, of course, ours, ours is in English, but it's translated from the Greek, but somewhere in between, there was the, the language, the Latin Vulgate, and they translated this, this word caught up, which in the Greek is harpazo, they changed it to, in Latin, raptus, which means to be caught away. So, the what of rapture is to be caught away, to be caught up. Again, in the Greek, it's harpazo. Let me give you the definitions as you were, if you were to look in the concordance. Under harpazo, it says to seize, to carry off by force, to snatch out or away. And this is my favorite. I think it's probably the most accurate. To seize on, to claim for one's self eagerly. I like this one. How many people were from a big family? Do you remember... After the Thanksgiving prayer, right, right after that, you guys would die for the chicken leg or whatever it is, right? Harpazo, that's to snatch away and claim as my own. This one's mine. That's it. Now, let's take a quick survey of this word, harpazo. We're going to see it used in all three of these contexts that we just talked about as we go through the New Testament. You don't have to turn to these pages, but you can write them down if you, if you don't believe me, if you want to check me up. All right? First, first place we want to look is Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. That word is harpazo, take it by force. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, Jesus is speaking. He says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away, takes it by force, what was sown in his heart. John chapter 6, verse 15. It says, therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. That word harpazo. John chapter 10, verse 28. 
Jesus says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Harpazo, take them away. Acts chapter 8, verse 39. If you were with us in the book of Acts chapter 8, Philip, after he baptizes the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, it says, chapter 8, verse 39, Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, snatched him away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went, the eunuch then went on his way rejoicing. And then the last one to reference, Acts chapter 23, verse 10. You guys remember when Paul was in the midst of the conflict uh, on the temple grounds? Chapter 23, verse 10 says, Now when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them, to snatch him away out of this danger and bring him into the barracks. So, the, what's the what of the rapture? To be snatched away, to be taken up, to be taken out. So, we got the what. Here's the who. What about the who? Who, who is rapturing who, whom? Right? Who is snatching whom? Look at verse 16 and verse 17. It says, for the Lord himself, there's your first party, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So we have the Lord himself rapturing the dead in Christ, but also, verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. So Jesus himself is doing the rapturing, and we are the raptured. Jesus is doing the whisking away, and we are the whisked. So we've got what and who. What is the rapture? It's the snatching away, the taking away. The who is us up into, well, that's our where. What's the where of, of the rapture? This is a very easy one. Verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the where. Again, it's amazing to think of, but that's what it says. We are going to be raptured, taken out, taken up to meet him. We're, we're his chicken leg, if you will, right? To be taken, he says, this is my own. So, we got it so far? The who, the what, and the where? Jesus will come. He will swipe us off the earth to meet him in the air. Now we come to a one that might take a little longer. How? How's it going to work? I mean, what are the particulars? I mean, verse 16 says that the dead in Christ will rise first. There will be formerly dead folks, rising. So that brings to question. Matter of fact, I heard some of them last week. Some of the questions that come out when you start talking about this. What will my body be like? I mean, in light of the resurrection, should I be cremated or not? I mean, what if I'm an organ donor and I gave away my liver? When my body flies out of the grave, does somebody lose his liver? What if I'm cremated and my ashes have been strewn out all over the sea? Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. They're kind of silly questions, but they're fun to think of. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul answers this question. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. Paul says, we've just asked this question, how are the dead raised up? Paul says, but someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 36, foolish one. He called us foolish. 
What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. Perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. See, Paul draws the analogy for us foolish ones. He, ma- he makes it so that we can get it. He says, look, it's, it's like a seed. First, the seed has to die before it can live. Before a seed can really live, it has to die first. You know that Paul didn't come up with that. Jesus said that first. John chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. Now, Jesus was talking about his own impending death. He says, I would rather die and be raised again. I'd I'd rather die than go to heaven without you guys. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But I don't want to remain alone, he says, so I will die and it will produce much grain. Jesus was talking about his own impending death, but think about it. It also gives you, this is kind of a side note here, but it gives you a principle to live by, doesn't it? It's not until you die that you really start to live. Here's what I mean. I mean, we can take that in the physical sense and we'll all find that that to be true. But what about here and now? Have you got some situation that's just killing you? This week, if this doesn't change, I'm just going to die. The quickest way out of that situation is death. Now, I'm not not recommending suicide here. (laughs) But Jesus says that he tells us to take up our cross and to follow him. A lot of people mistake that to mean, you know, take up your burden. No, the cross is an instrument of death. Jesus says, reckon yourselves dead and then you will find life. Let me put it this way. I know a lot of people that are going through a lot of things right now. And I think our family is one of them. The people that successfully die to self and start living for Jesus and living to think about other people are the ones that are the most happy. Does that make sense? To die first and then to live. See, you, you cannot produce much fruit unless you are willing to die to yourself. If not, if you're the seed that just remains above the ground and closed up, you're just a seed. But it's the seed that dies and opens up. It's the one that releases the tree that bears the fruit. So, back to now. That was, that was a side note. Come back. Come back to the rapture. Look at verse 42. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 42. Paul's going to expand on this thought of a seed and its fruit. He says, just like a seed, it's a seed compared to a tree. Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. He says there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Let's say I wanted to uh, plant a, a watermelon patch. Let's say I wanted to have 200 watermelons when I'm done. How big of a truck would I need to go to Lowe's and prepare for this. I wouldn't need a big truck. I just need enough room for 200 watermelon seeds. I don't need room for the whole thing. Paul says the difference between your body then 
in the future at the resurrection and your body now is astronomical. This is the answer to all these questions that we have, right? These silly questions, if you will. What if I'm cremated? What if my ashes were spread all over the beach? What if someone has my liver? Well, actually, lately science has answered that question, hasn't it? I mean, the advances in cloning tell us that even men can reconstruct a complete animal out of one DNA cell. So if you needed to, God could reconstruct you out of one DNA cell on one cell that he found in the middle of the beach. See, the, the answer, Paul says, is, look, you get a new body. It's still you, but it's like version 5000.0. Verse 44 says that the shell that you currently live in is, your only, is only a natural body, it says, but you will receive a spiritual body. Well, okay, now that creates another silly question. Because when we, when we think of spiritual, we sort of think of without a body, right? Like, here's, here's another silly question. If I have a serial, uh, spiritual body and I go to hug grandma, am I just going to, like, walk through her? No. See... The best way to understand what our resurrected bodies are going to be like is to study what Jesus was like when he was raised from the dead. You guys remember when Thomas doubted? Jesus came. He said, go ahead. Put your finger there. Jesus was touchable. He was holdable. He was huggable. And we will be too. How awesome is it to know those that have left, those that have departed, those are ahead that you're missing already. You're going to be able to hug them again if they knew Jesus. He was huggable, touchable, all those things. And yet, Jesus could walk through walls. He could come and go. He could disappear like that. It was his resurrected body that ascended. Think about that. It ascended without catapult or jet fuel. Jesus just, I'm headed up. See, these are going to be pretty cool bodies that we have. The Bible says that we will be like him. 1 John 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like Jesus. It's like the you, but version 5000.0. Well, here's another question. But if, if I have a new body, will I be recognizable? Well, yes. The Bible says that we will, be, we will know and we will be known. You guys remember when Peter and James and John went up with Jesus to meet uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah show up? Remember that? They, they knew who they were, but there's no record of Jesus going, okay, Peter, meet Moses, James, meet Elijah. There was no introductions and they didn't have name tags, I don't think. They just knew. We will know and we will be known. See, there are absolutely no disadvantages to your resurrected body. When the, re when the rapture comes, when the resurrection comes, my body will become perfect. Now, I know what you're thinking. How can you approve on this? <laughs> but I can tell you, in case you were wondering... My back is really looking forward to the rapture. I'm praying that the rapture will become, come before the rupture. <laughs> what about you guys? What are you looking forward to concerning your new body? I took a poll. 
at worship practice. Let's see. I can remember that Scott said he's looking forward to being 27 again because that was when he met his lovely wife. He told me to say that. Who else did I talk to? I talked to Ben. I suggested that the thing in heaven that he would love is that there'd be no more Tums. No more acid reflux. But I guess he likes the taste of Tums. What did he say? Oh, he said he, he, he was thankful that when he gets his new body, there'll be no sweat. So that's pretty good. Um, Hank. Where's Hank? There he is. He said he's looking forward to the feast where you can eat as much as you want. <laughs> the, the body is sown in corruption, but it is raised in incorruption. That means no bad knees, no toothaches. No acid reflux, no heartburn, no heart attacks, no heartache. Verse 42 says the body is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. Corruption means death. See, right now, every cell in your body is dying. Now, some of them are being replaced, but eventually you lose this battle, right? That's why old men shuffle when these same old men, they used to run. See, our present bodies are in a state of decay, but our resurrected bodies will never decay. Look at verse 43. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. See, as we get older, our bodies dishonor us. You ever heard this? They, they say that men don't really lose the hair on their head. It just relocates to their nose and ears. It is, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it says. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Do you guys really get what this means? I don't know what it means in the deepest sense for you, but for me, <laughs> for me, this means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a conversation with Noah. A full-out intellectual conversation with my son who has autism. We're going to joke and we're going to laugh. Tell stupid puns. I think he'll probably be like me. <laughs> and we're going to be thanking Jesus for conquering decay and disease and death. See, the resurrection is not only a time of reunion, but of renewing. It's not only a time of transportation to the air, but transformation from who we are now. It has to be that way. It must be that way because look at verse 50. Verse 50, Paul explains why this transformation is necessary. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit Incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, instantly, it says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Church up in Philadelphia, um, they have that posted on their nursery wall. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? This is awesome. So we've answered the who, the what, the where, and as best we know how, the how. There's two left. The when and the why. Now the when, oh boy. The when of the rapture. This is where we tread into serious, deep waters of debate. Now, we're not going to try to cover it completely today. I'll talk more a little bit about it on Thursday as well. But specifically, theologians, Christians, debate when the rapture will happen. When it will happen specifically in relation to the Great Tribulation. Now, if you don't know what the Tribulation is... Most evangelical Christians do agree that there is a future. Sometime, it could be starting today or tomorrow. Sometime in the future, there's a seven-year period where God's judgment cleanses the earth. God's judgment comes upon this earth. You can read about it. If you want to study, you can read about it in the book of Revelation. Right? Do some light reading this afternoon. (laughs) Cuddle up just you in the book of Revelation. It says... The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but the Bible teaches that this thing called tribulation will happen. God is not willing that any should perish, but there comes a time when his patience is trumped by his righteousness. The tribulation is when God pours out his wrath upon a rebellious world. So, when is the rapture in relation to this tribulation? Well, there's quite a few different views. There's the pre-trib, right, short for tribulation, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-wrath, post-toasties. No. Well, I guess you could call it, that would be like post-trib, right, post-toasties. Believing Christians can and do have different opinions as to when the rapture happens. You can be a Christian and, and believe these different things. But I personally believe that the pre-tribulation position is the correct one. Again, on Thursday, I'm going to have time to elaborate more, but just let me give you a few reasons why I think that the pre-trib rapture is the one that is right. Pre-trib rapture is the only one, in my opinion, that is consistent in these three areas. This idea, the pre-trib rapture, is consistent with the context of Thessalonians. The context of Thessalonians, the whole message of Thessalonians is that he's coming back, and he's coming back soon. Paul even, he said, we who are alive and remain. He expected to be in this rapture. So the idea in Thessalonians is that his return is imminent, meaning it could be the very next thing that happens. It easily, there's nothing left that has to happen before he comes. The idea of the pre-trip rapture is also consistent with the comfort that Paul intended. It's consistent with the context of Thessalonians, but it's also consistent with, with the comfort that he intended. Because look at verse 18. He says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. See, if the rapture is mid-trib or pre-wrath or uh, post-trib, just so you know, by the way, it's pre-wrath. That sounds like it's sort of like almost pre-trib. But pre-wrath means sometime in the the second part of of the the, uh, tribulation. If you read in Revelation chapter 5, you see that uh, by then... A fourth of the world has already been destroyed. If the rapture is any time after the very, very beginning of the tribulation, Paul would be saying then 
in verse 18, he'd be saying, okay, before you're raptured, you're going to go through seven years of truly hell on earth. Hey, comfort one another with these words. It's also consistent with the character of our bridegroom, of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, if you were with us in the marriage series, you know that we are instructed husbands to love our wives just as Christ also loves the church. This is very clear that Jesus loves his bride, right? It talks about he's the bridegroom and we are the bride. I believe that the bridegroom will not punish his bride along with his enemies. Verse 9 of the next chapter, Galatians chapter 5, verse 9 says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has not appointed us to wrath. So that's another reason that I believe that the rapture must come before the tribulation. Matter of fact, though, if we are the bride and he's the bridegroom, then we've also answered the last question, which is why? Who, what, where, when, how, and why? The answer to the question of why the rapture is that we are his bride. He will rescue his bride before the judgment comes. And that's why Paul says, he's basically saying to the Thessalonians, guys, just hang on. Keep looking to the skies because this time is coming when the bridegroom will come and whisk his bride away. While on on a South Pole expedition, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackleton, he left a few men on Elephant Island, promising that he would return. Later, when he tried to go back, huge icebergs blocked the way. But suddenly... As if by a miracle, an avenue opened in the ice, and Shackleton was able to get through. His men were ready and waiting, and they quickly scrambled aboard. No sooner had the ship cleared the island than the ice crashed together behind them. See, that is the why. That's why he will snatch us away in the twinkling of an eye, because this judgment is coming. If you have a relationship with him today... The Bible says you are his precious bride and the ice is about to come down and Jesus will whisk you away before him. Now, continuing that illustration, this this uh, explorer, he rescues the, this group of men. They were ready and waiting, right? The, cra- the, the ice comes crashing in. Contemplating their narrow escape, the explorer said to this men, said to his men, boy, it was fortunate that you all were packed and ready to go. They replied, we never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, the boss may come today. That's precisely the point, isn't it? The boss may come today. Are you backpacked? 